Cool. Let's do it. So, okay. Cool. Then we'll just, let's do a, a hey. Let's do a hey. <laughs> oh, welcome shall we, to... Shall we do a hey? Let's do a hey. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your list, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. <laughs> Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. That's Deanna. That's Hannah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And this podcast is about women and women presenting folks. That's, yep. We come Pretty to much. you once a week on most weeks. <laughs> most weeks. <laughs> if we're not on a Wednesday, we try to be either the next week or, you know, a Friday or a Thursday. Um, usually we've been good Yeah. about being on Wednesdays. This is a particularly special month because it is Pride Month. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. We are very excited about Pride Month. That's because, true. you know, we are. Because it's an exciting month. Yep. And I think we both identify as maybe not uh, entirely straight. <laughs> you and think? Do you know? <laughs> you think or you know, Hannah? I'm uh, pretty sure I know that that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> so it is an important month for both of us. And um, it also feels particularly relevant lately because, shockingly, Trump is the, what, first Republican president to recognize Pride Month and yet is also dismantling a lot of protections for people in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, especially transgender people. As we speak, mm. um, so it's a it's a really like weird time, fucked up time for a lot of people, and we're here to discuss people in history. I think who have also been through their own version of the shit uh, in this month. And you have a little thing you're gonna read, sort of. Um, so it will have been like a week ago now. But um, BuzzFeed posted this article that I actually haven't read through, but um, seemed interesting and relevant um, in general to life. Um, uh, it was an article, uh, BuzzFeed News, uh, by Emily Herner and Rick Tulsky. Um, the headline being, Cops across the U.S. have been exposed posting racist and violent things on Facebook, and here is the proof. Aha! A review of the Facebook accounts of thousands of officers around the United States, the largest database of its kind, found officers endorsing violence against Muslims, women, and criminal defendants. Uh, it was an article published in collaboration with Injustice Watch. Interesting. Um, which is a nonprofit newsroom focused on exposing institutional failures that obstruct justice and equality. Hmm. All right. When an armed would-be robber backed out of a liquor store after the clerk pulled a gun on him, the surveillance video posted on Facebook with a comment, should have shot him. Oh. Another commenter responded, I would of, sick, pulled the trigger. <laughs> These comments weren't from your everyday Facebook users. They were the words of Philadelphia police officers. Oh. Local law enforcement departments across the country have grappled with officers' use of social media, often struggling to create and enforce policies that restrict offensive speech. 
The North Charleston, South Carolina Police Department fired an officer for posting a photo of himself wearing a Confederate flag uh, on his underwear. Oh, God. Days after a white supremacist killed nine black worshippers at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church just miles away, um, he later settled in a wrongful termination suit, which is fucking ridiculous. Of course he did. Um yeah, real insensitive, dude. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, Chicago Police Department has tried unsuccessfully to uh, fire an officer whose own commander complained of his bigoted views. A Facebook page called the Chicago Code Blue attracted uh, attention for inflammatory comments such as every thug deserves a slug after an officer was found guilty in the death of Laquan McDonald. Jesus. Police officers saying bigoted and racist things online has been an issue since the beginning of social media. The behavior was especially scrutinized after the Black Lives Matter movement busted onto the national conversation. Uh, that scrutiny has continued even after that movement began grappling with its future. What was never really captured was the scope of problematic online posts from police officers. But a new review of police behavior on Facebook documents the systemic failure of uh, the conduct across several departments. The Plainview Project, launched by Philadelphia lawyer Emily Baker White, examined the accounts of about 2,900 officers from eight departments across the country and an additional 600 retired officers from those same departments. So it's basically 3,000 officers. Yeah. Okay. No. 3,500. 3,500. Yeah. She compiled posts that represented troubling conduct in a database that's replete with racist imagery and memes, and in some cases, long vitriolic exchanges involving multiple officers. The project sought to compile posts, comments, and other public activity that could undermine public trust in the police and reinforce views of critics, especially in minority communities, that police are not there to protect him. Oof. Wow. Yeah, uh... Cops saying it's a good day for a chokehold. Oh, God. Um, how ignorant jerks are going are going to treat good cops now. This cop is a disgrace. My laser would have had him. Da- my taser would have had him dancing camera or not. I don't play that shit. And then that should have shot him. And then whenever these people in masks show up, meaning um, uh, Antifa people, they should oh. be greeted by these people in masks being SWAT police uh who should send them to these people in masks which it just says mask by the way not masks plural and it's um doctors in surgical masks oh yeah of the pages of the pages of officers whom the plainview researchers could positively identify about one in five of the current officers and two in five of the retired officers made public posts or comments that met the threshold typically by displaying bias applauding violence scoffing at due process or using dehumanizing language the officers mocked mexicans women and black people celebrated the confederate flag and showed a man wearing a kafaya scarf in the crosshairs of a gun Wow. Quote, just another savage that needs to be exterminated, wrote Booker Smith Jr., a Dallas police sergeant, about a homicide at a Dollar General store. Oh, my God. Execute all involved, he wrote separately about a group of teens who were accused of killing a six-year-old. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, it keeps going on. It's a great article. People should – there were a lot of images and memes and stuff. Um, it sounds very I mean I think that really what's what it seems to be indicative of is the type of person who seems to be going after the law enforcement career these days mm -hmm. because because there have been studies into that into the the mindset of people who are 
pursuing careers in law enforcement and right. how a lot of the time it's people who want to feel powerful and it's people who want to feel powerful over specific subgroups and it's not always it's not always people who are like I want to uphold the law I want to you know be somebody who is the hand of justice in specific situations where where it's required and it's necessary and it's uh, you know unbiased etc cetera, etc cetera. I think that we are experiencing a weird time with our law enforcement where I mean now that that's starting to come to light yeah we're recognizing we're recognizing that there is a specific type of person who, not all the time, but often... Of course not. Of course not all the time. But often goes for that position and exploits it in ways that they is really can. sick. Because they can. And I think that's important to note. And I've also been watching a lot of live PD recently. Thanks, Alex. Have you? Yes, which is a fascinating show yes and also i mean it's it's clearly uh, frequently can be like cop propaganda but it's also interesting to see the things that they deal with because it is live and it is it's like cops but live but it's like you see it made me realize just how bad of a meth problem we have in this country because like everybody they pull over has meth in their car and i'm like what the fuck i mean everybody the meth uh, and yeah. or heroin it's oh, like god. jesus god the meth crisis in so many middle america cities yeah is really it really is awful yeah it really is bad if any if there are and people if you're high on meth know, it makes you do crazy stupid makes shit you do crazy shit yeah anyway uh, all right i didn't get nearly through all that but um it's you can look it up on buzzfeed and there's more images to go with it. Send me the link. I'll put it in our show notes yeah. because I think that I think that it is especially apt right now when we are dealing with a clash of certain political systems and certain systemic institutions against um, people who have traditionally been prejudiced against. Hmm. So cops and transgender people, cops and black people, cops and et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's I think it is important to bring to light this fact that a lot of people in law enforcement go into law enforcement for specific reasons that are not law enforcement. And now we are getting to a point where we get to hear (laughs) And see their comments on social media and, uh, you know, in interviews and on their own body cams. All of that. I mean, the Sandra Bland video came out recently and it was appalling. Yeah. It really, really was. It was fucked up. Mm. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? 
Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Can I tell you about a person? Please. I want to tell you about somebody who is very interesting today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I do. And you may have found her in your own searchings. Okay. Um, but this person is from the 1700s. Oh. And cons- largely considered to be one of the first out transgender people. Hmm. So today I'm going to tell you about the Chevalier Dayon. Yes. Does that ring a bell? It does. Okay. All right. And but I don't know much. Chevalier is the equivalent of sir, I think, from what I understood as I was researching. So, like, that's her knighted name. Her birth name, which I apologize, Deanna, somebody who speaks French, who may hate me for pronouncing things incorrectly, but Charles, Genevieve, Louis, Auguste, Andre Timothy Dayon de Beaumont. That's not bad. Is the birth name. You did you did fine. Uh, thank you. Could have been better, could have been way worse. <laughs> thank you. But t- largely she was known as the Chevalier Dayon. And in history historically that's kind of how everybody refers to her. So most of my information came from Wikipedia, Atlas Obscura, because I love Atlas Obscura, and them.us, cool. which is a really interesting website, by the way, if anyone wants to check it out, which deals with a lot of queer um, news and non-binary news and transgender news and et cetera, et cetera. Cool. And that particular article was written by Hugh Ryan, who is the author of When Brooklyn Was Queer, which came out, I think, in March. Um, and I believe it's, I may be totally wrong, but I believe that's a picture book. Um, but anyway, so the writer is queer, and I've taken some of his article and a little bit of Atlas Mascara and Wikipedia. So... I'm going to start with Hugh Ryan's article because I just liked what he had to say. But he says, throughout history, queer people have developed ruses of all kinds to hide aspects of their identities. But few have used such a clever ruse as Charles, Genevieve, Louis, Auguste, Andre, Timothy, Dayon de Beaumont, who disguised. You're doing great. Thank you. Who disguised her transgender identity. By coming out as transgender. Oh. (laughs) Yes. So I will go on. Um, A lot of Atlas Obscura's information came from Professor Gary Cates of Pomona College, who is one of the first modern academics to look closely at the life or 
you know, various lives of the Chevalier Dion. In his comprehensive biography, Monsieur Dion is a woman. So if anyone wants to go look that up, that's the book that Professor Cates wrote. I think that it is a more sympathetic look at uh, the Chevalier Dion's life than a lot of biographies that seem to have come out. So I think that one's probably worth looking at. I will say that um, Gary Cates uses he, him pronouns when describing the Chevalier's life as a man because obviously that's, uh, you know, that's what this biographer decided was the appropriate thing to do. When was it written? I don't know, actually. I should have looked that up, but I don't actually know. It's recent. It's recent enough. It's in the last few years. I will not be doing that. I changed all the pronouns to she, her throughout Thank my, um, yeah, because I think that's important and because I think that regardless of how you interpret her life, she ultimately believed herself to be a woman. Cool. So I think it's important to Which is the gender most important her as. Thing. Exactly. The Chevalier d'Eon, as she is more commonly known, was born to a poor but noble French family in the wine-bearing region of Burgundy in the year 1728. Bourgogne. Burgundy. No, Bourgogne. Burgundy. There's no D. Bourgogne. Bourgogne. Thank you. <laughs> but it's Burgundy, though, for the anglicized. Burgundy. Assigned male at birth. She excelled in her schooling and military training. And by the age of 35, which was uh, 1763, she'd gotten a law degree, published books about the French tax system, been knighted, and become a celebrated fencer. I feel like 35 back then was like 60 today. 35 was old as shit 35 was was past middle age. Yes. To do all of this shit at 35 was humongous. So yeah, in their introduction to a translation of Dion's never completed autobiography, The Maiden of Tonnerre, Historians Roland Champagne, Nina Eckstein, and Gary Cates wrote that by 1758, and you remember she turned 35 in 1763, she was, quote, a rising star among the young arist- uh, aristocratic elite who hoped to serve the monarchy in some important capacity. So in 1756, age 28, Dion became secretary to the French ambassador to Russia. Sorry, but also this is a terrible time to decide to be loyal to the monarchy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When you're decades from the French Revolution. Anyway. Oh, girl, it comes into play. I mean, okay. it really does. Okay. Um, so she became a secretary to the French ambassador to Russia. And this role was important, but it was just a cover because she was also tapped for another royal service. Oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. R-O-I. How do you pronounce that? Roi. Roi. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um, le secret du roi. That was great. Or the king's secret. The secret. Le secret. Le secret. There's no T. Secret. I mean, secret. there is, but it's like further back in your mouth. Okay. Sorry. I can't control it. This is why secret. I defer to you. Secret. I will probably, yeah, the, the article refers to it as the secret from now on. The secret du roi. Yep. The secret, the king's secret, 
The Secret was a network of spies and diplomatic agents established by Louis XV in the 1740s with the aim of putting his cousin, the Prince de Conti, on the Polish throne and turning the country into a French satellite. Ooh. Uh-huh. The Secret was so secret, it was hidden from and sometimes acted against the official French foreign ministry. Whoa. <laughs> It was just, it was like the king has said I should do this thing. So I'm going to do it even though the actual government is like doing this other thing. So. And she was a part of this? Yes, she was. Okay. Uh, Down's role was to foster good relations with the uh, Russian court of the Empress Elizabeth and to get her husband behind installing Conti uh, in Poland, as well as promoting France's interests generally. Uh, but there wasn't a ton that Down could do. And ultimately, the tides turned into what soon became the Seven Years' War with Britain, mm-hmm. with England. Um, and the war did not go well for France. So by March 1762, Louis XV called for peace talks. And in August 1762, Dayon, uh, who had left Russia for a stint as a dragoon in the French army, was then appointed to the French, uh, no, 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 was then appointed secretary to the French ambassador, oh. who was at that point negotiating um, the peace talks with Britain. I'm sorry. And this whole time, was she like presenting as female? No. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. She okay. was in the military. She was presenting mail. Um, Got it. So, yeah. Got it. And that does kind of play in a little bit later, like her military career versus her female identity. Um, at a time when women couldn't be in the military. Right. Yeah. So she was, at this time, while she was still pre- presenting mail, she was admitted to the prestigious Royal and Military Order of St. Louis, a huge honor for a man only 35 at the time. And finally, she was allowed to call herself Chevalier, which was the equ- equivalent of being knighted yes, at the time. Yeah. Um, and the, pre- the peace treaty with Britain was signed in February of 1763. France found itself totally stripped of its colonies in North America. It was hugely in debt and uh, desperate for revenge. Okay. <laughs> So the secret regrouped with a new purpose, which was invade Britain. France wanted to take over Britain. They were like, fuck Britain, fuck England, fuck them all for doing all this shit to us. And like, also now we have no colonies in North America. So we want to now be the people in charge of Britain. Cool. We're going to make that happen. Good luck with that. So, yeah, and they basically were like, we're going to send some spies to you to give us a topographical look at what England is. Give us the give us an idea of what the border situation looks like. You know, give us all the info that you can possibly get. And and Dayon was somebody who they sent to England to get that information. Um, so she was named uh, Minister Plenipotentiary. <laughs> I don't know what, what a that word means. that is. <laughs> Plenipotentiary. Uh, Plenipotentiary. 
with the status of ambassador to the British court, which was an excellent cover for directing a survey of the English coast. Hmm, good to f- cover. Mm-hmm. To find a place to mount an invasion. I did that in a British accent. It should have been French. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, good cover, old lad. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Oh, good cover. Good cover. I didn't even look up what a planetary was because I just liked the word and I thought I would let it speak what for is itself. It? Planetary, a person, especially a diplomat, invested with the full power of independent action on behalf of their government, typically in a foreign country, having full power to take independent action as an adjective. There you go. I mean, I think that describes Dayon pretty well. Mm. Uh, things seemed to be going well. For Dayan, especially within that role, um, but within months, it was all going to go away. For starters, she had expensive tastes, much to the frustration of her cash-strapped government. Women be shopping, am oh I right? Oh my god, they love their <laughs> wine, and I will drink to that. <laughs> So she was reprimanded for importing too much wine. Uh, <laughs> and she wasn't really the ambassador. No, she, she was plenipotentiary. She was plenipotentiary. <laughs> the real ambassador, the Comte de... Comte. Comte de Grachy? I don't know. What is it? G-U-E-R-C-H-Y. Grachy. Yeah. Perfect was a man with little diplomatic experience and he was not well liked or particularly competent. Well, that sounds like they fucked up then. It's they seriously fucked up. And so Dayon was kind of like acting in his absence, but he was expected within the year. And at that point, Dayon would be demoted to secretary. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, total fucking bullshit. So the awkwardness between, like, in their relationship was compounded by the fact that though Dayon was under, Gwerchi, Let me see how it's spelled again. G-U-R-E-R-C-H-Y. Gwerchi. I'm trying to make sure I get it right. Gwerchi. The awkwardness was compounded <laughs> by the fact that though Dion was under Gwerchi, great, in her public uh, life, and totally above board ministerial position, she was superior to, and sometimes at odds with Guerchi in her work in the King's Secret. Oh, so she was she was the ambassador's superior as a spy in the King's network, right? But she was the ambassador's inferior in the public persona. Oh shit. And the public office. The situation was untenable, and she let her superiors know that in a series of increasingly angry letters. Ooh. <laughs> she was like, uh, fuck this shit. I don't want to do this anymore. No, thank you. And on October 4th, 1763, just six months after she'd been given the job, Dion was fired for being insolent. <laughs> and she had until the 19th of that month to come home so that they could pretty much chastise her and imprison her. 
She was like, ah, no, I know you're going to send me to the Bastille, which from what I understood is like a prison fortress. Yeah. So she's (laughs) like, yeah, I know you're going to send me to this fucking prison fortress. So I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to stay in England. And good luck to you. (laughs) Enjoy. Enjoy. And the French ministry apparently tried to extradite her multiple times. But the British were like, hey, she's free to live here. She's a free citizen here, and we're fine with her being here. So it's cool. We're not going to send her to you. Okay. Okay. Um, And, of course, she was still living as a man at this point. Right. Uh, But she's free to be here as a private citizen. So goodbye. And then the French tried to kidnap her. But that didn't work either. Why did they care so much? Because she was a spy. She had all of these state secrets. And if they fired her... But she was like, no, I won't come be imprisoned. Then they had this fucking disgruntled employee running around with all their state secrets. True. So they didn't want that to happen. And by this time, because she knew it was only a matter of time before they finally got her, she fired a warning shot. She published a book of state secrets. Yeah, but she was clever. She held some of the most damning material back. So that even while she was publicly warring with the French crown and she was banned from returning to France and she was like giving up a lot of their secrets, she wasn't giving up everything. She was only giving up sort of innocuous stuff and basically being like, you see this? I have this and I can I can easily release these innocuous little secrets. Just imagine what I could do with your gigantic secrets. Right. And um, they fell for it. They did. And so she was still, she stayed in England, but Louis XV kept her on his payroll. And he was like, all right, fine. We will stop trying to kidnap you. We'll stop trying to extradite you. Thank you. And we'll just let you be. Cool. But you have to keep spying for us. Fuck. And so she she did. She was kind of like, all right, I'll survey some stuff. I'll send you some uh, some of Britain's secrets. I mean, secrets. that does sound like a pretty good trade. And she was on the payroll. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So she agreed to do that, and that was fine. And the new ambassador was eventually recalled. She was never given the position, but she decided she was just going to keep hanging around England, and she was going to write. She was going to write books. And that was what she did. All right. And because of that, she was a celebrated public figure. Also because she was well known from the time when France was trying to extradite her and Britain said, nah, it's fine. She kind of became well known. Okay. Throughout that whole ordeal. Right. Um, But around 1770, rumors started to spread that she had actually been born a woman but had been raised as a man in order to receive a family inheritance. Oh. Gary Cates, the historian, believes that Dayon most likely started these rumors herself. Oh. Yeah. And whether or not that's actually true, Dayon certainly encouraged the rumors once they began and even wrote them into her autobiography. Soon a betting pool about her sex was established in London, And the question was brought all the way to the court of the king's bench in Westminster. 
So they were like, tr- like it was a fucking huge public People thing. Were so obsessed, and they were so obsessed. They were like, "Oh my god, did your dad really raise you as a dude so that you could be in the military?" And did you accomplish all these things as a woman? As a woman, oh my god. And in her autobiography, Dayon wrote that on July second, seventeen seventy seven, the English government formally pronounced. That, quote, she who had called herself the Chevalier Dayon until that day was an individual who did not possess what the appellation, quote, man promised and that she was a, quote, virago disguised in a uniform. I don't know what any of that means. (laughs) I know. I was like, that's why I had to put it in quotes because I was like, I don't know. This is what they said. Um, Basically, they were like, yeah, we recognize that she's been a lady this whole time. Pretty much. That's what they were saying. Okay. So this was the perfect way to affect a gender transition without losing her status or popularity by claiming to have been a woman pretending to be a man all along. And in especially in that her dad was like, you have to pretend to be a man in order to have these these status things. Like, that's what you're going to do and that's why you're going to do it. And it's, you know, it's dad's fault. Of course. So really, that's why this has been happening. Okay. Uh, yeah. So according to Gary Cates, the historian, she took it one step further and wedded her public transition to her pious religious nature, effectively arguing that because she was at heart a good, honest Christian woman, she could no longer live a lie. And to a large degree, both the British and the French embraced her for it. There are other historians who think that Dan's admission to being a woman was more reactive than active. Um, But I don't necessarily want to go into that point of view as much. Um, And whether it's true that coming out as a woman was a reaction to her circumstances, you know, all of these rumors and all of these bets, maybe she had money placed on some of these bets, Hmm. etc., um, whether that was really what was going on, the facts are that Dayon did continue to live as a woman long after it was, quote, necessary to do so. And once she found her piousness, like, legit, she was, she found her Christianity at this point. What? Yeah. She felt that women lived superior lives to men, and she pref- preferred to live as a woman in part because of that. Interesting. It's fascinating. She's like, I'm a Christian. I can no longer lie about the fact that I am a woman. Like, as a Christian, I cannot lie. Right. You know? Right. I can't lie about that. So I'm a woman. And I think that women live superior lives to men. I think that they are just in general more equipped to be pious than (laughs) men are. (laughs) I know that that's a super 1770s thing. But it is interesting that, like, she sort of valued femininity above masculinity in a lot of ways. Sure, For various reasons. Um, And so she did go back to France as a woman. She was embraced back at French court as a woman. Oh. So there was just one problem with her new life. Being an 18th century noblewoman was very boring, especially after having been a soldier, a spy, and a celebrated diplomat. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and when the when France sided with the colonists 
in the American Revolution. They sure did. Thanks, Lafayette. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. She said, hey, I will put my uniform back on and I will lead a female, like an entirely female-led battalion into the New World to fight for the American Revolution. Did they let her do it? They did not let her do it. They were like, no, you're a woman now. You don't get to do these things now that you're a lady. Boo! It was pretty, it's pretty like, it's pretty fucking bullshit. Awesome. (laughs) Women are awesome. I mean, women are awesome. So when she continued to press the issue, she was arrested and thrown into a dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I know. And she was only released after 20 days and obviously with the promise that she would stop asking to lead a female battalion of (laughs) soldiers to the new world to fight for the American Revolution. She was finally like, all right, fine. I will stop asking you to let me do this. Fine. Fine. And she, they let her out. And every political effort she made from then on would immediately be quashed by the French government. Aww. Which is really like, it's just. Which is indicative of like, we, you had more of a voice when you were a dude. You had more of a voice when you were a dude. Yeah. Eventually, she returned to London, purportedly to settle up some business, some debts, but most likely to escape the strict life she was living as a not very well-off, unmarried woman of the French court. Yeah. And in London, she continued to write. She collected a very large library of early feminist works. She loved Mary Wollstonecraft, who people who listening to this may not know is Mary Shelley's mom. Super feminist, like early pioneer of feminism. A sale of her famous collection of books couldn't cover her debts. And by 1791, uh, Dayon, now in her 60s, resorted to putting on fencing exhibitions for money, styling herself oh, as a kind of swordswoman uh, yeah, yeah, warrior. Yeah. This is what I read about. Okay. I, I thought maybe you probably had seen something. Um, And while she was in England, the French Revolution, as you mentioned, overthrew the last vestiges of the French monarchy. And And the aristocracy. And the aristocracy. So good thing she was out of the country. But she lost the pension that she'd been earning. Yeah, but she could have lost her head. She could have lost her head, but she no longer had any money. Mm -hmm. And so she pretty much died homeless. Oh, well, fuck. Yeah, she she died. She had a roommate. Um, I guess homeless is the wrong word. Penniless. Um, but she she had a roommate. She didn't have any money. When she died, her roommate discovered her biological sex, which was male, which she had convinced all of these people for, what, 20, 30 years was actually female. Which, I mean, I guess she... She was by our standard, but theirs, that's right. crazy. Theirs that was totally based on sex. She was assigned male at birth mm-hmm. and convinced everyone that she was assigned female at birth, but yep. was raised as a boy. Yep. So she had been living as a woman for 33 years, and her real transgender identity was brilliantly hidden by the fake one she had claimed as a smokescreen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, 
Yeah. What an interesting... That's exactly what you said. She's very interesting. And because at the time, there was no... There was no script for that. Like, I feel like a woman, so how do I deal with that? You know? If you feel like a girl, then you're real like a girl. Thanks, Lizzo. Thanks, Lizzo. <laughs> but when you're the, the Chevalier Dion in 1758 or whenever, I, uh, you know... You have to trick people, which is what she did. Uh, allegedly, she started rumors. Somebody started rumors about her so her crazy. biological. That's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's yep. awesome. I know. She is. She had a very interesting life, and I do think it is interesting that she was like, "I love being a soldier." I love... But also I love being a lady. Yeah. Like, I feel like women have the superior temperament and I feel like women have the superior inner life, inner lives as Christians. Mm. And also she was very interested in feminist works. But she also wanted to go to the new world and fight. And she thought women could do that too. She was like, I can assemble you. Yeah, because obviously you. they could have. Because obviously they could have. She, But she was like, I can assemble you a, a fully female battalion of, you know, people to go across the ocean and fight for this. I could do that. And yeah. they were like, nah. No, we're good. We're good. But wait, we need more men, though. Right. We need to send more men over there. So, anyway, that's the Chevalier Dion. And apparently there's an anime by the same name. Really? Yeah. BT Dubs. I don't know anything about it, but. Well, all right. You know. Anime. Comes from somewhere. So maybe there's, maybe there are some themes that are relevant to this. Do you have some on this day for me? I do. Um, Today is June 12th. So like you said last week, uh, (laughs) we're getting into the time of the year when like just a lot of shit is happening a lot of shit's happening a lot of shit is happening a lot of battles people are getting restless they want to be violent you know that's summer madness sun's out guns out out. (laughs) so i i tried to skip as much of that as possible um but i do have quite a few so i may have i may end up having to skip some but in 1665 New Amsterdam legally becomes an English colony and is renamed New York. In what year? 1665. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. I I have that spot mapped out, the Sharakapak Rock. Oh. Where they, I mean, where the, the, the... Danes allegedly, no, the Dutch allegedly Uh purchased Manhattan. Hmm. Where right. they did it. We'll have to go there. You've been there. Oh, this is up by you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought this was cool. 1898, uh, Filipino revolutionary forces under General Emilio Aguinaldo proclaimed the sovereignty and independence of the Philippine Islands from the colonial rule of Spain. Great. And he was their first president. Oh, yay. Yeah. Um, 1923, Harry Houdini frees himself from a straitjacket while suspended upside down 40 feet above ground in New York City. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. Um, nineteen forty-two. Anne Frank gets her diary as a birthday present in Amsterdam. Oh, I know. I know that one almost made me cry. Um, nineteen sixty-three. Cleopatra, starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. <laughs> I was about to be like, what? Premieres in New York City. The most expensive film ever made. At the time. At the time. I assume. I don't know. This thing just says the most expensive film ever made. So I don't know. Um, Benjamin, I thought you might like this because you and I have been talking about the Mandela effect. 1964. Nelson Mandela is sentenced to life in prison in South Africa. Why is it called the Mandela effect? Because lots of people think that Nelson Mandela died in prison. What? He didn't. I know. He died in 2013. I know. But it's called that because there are enough people who think that Nelson Mandela died in prison. 17. No. Whoops. That's a lie. 1978. David Berkowitz. Do you know who David Berkowitz is? Sentenced in New York to uh, 25 years to life in prison. Son of Sam. Uh-huh. Son of Sam. Serial killer in New York. Was sentenced to 25 years to life. 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones film. It premieres. I've seen that. In 2012, an Australian coroner's report rules that a dingo was responsible for the death of a baby in 1980. The dingo ate my baby. (laughs) And everybody now knows. The dingo probably did eat her baby. I know. This poor woman was like. MFM did a great episode about that's it. That's true. My favorite murder. Where she was like dragged under the bus. She it was she was the Monica Lewinsky. The mom was Monica Lewinsky. Everyone thought the mom killed her baby when she said, a dingo ate my baby. And actually a dingo did eat her baby, which they ruled in 2012. Now. Now we know. What am I excited about? <laughs> Hey, Deanna. I'm glad you asked. Hey, Deanna. Hey, Hannah. What are you excited about? Excited about our planet. We talked about it at length at the beginning. Everybody should watch it. Our planet is delicate and beautiful, and it's a well-done documentary series on Netflix, and um, it's very important viewing. Will it make us depressed? No, it will. It will, and it will also make you hopeful. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm stoked. Our planet. That sounds great. (laughs) I have heat stroke. Let's go. Deanna has heat stroke. We're going to turn on the air conditioning and we're going to sign off. So peace out, witches. Bye. (laughs) I feel like I get those short straws going last. (laughs) Sometimes. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. 
Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon